welcome to Remotely Creative, a RimCAD podcast where we talk to artists, designers, and wildcards about how they're surviving in the era of COVID-19 isolation. I'm your host, Rob Flattery. With me today is Theodore Davis, a philosopher, painter, and creator of the art brand, D'Urset. Today, we wanted to talk to Theodore about the intersection of art and philosophy and the significance of this interchange for artists and designers. Theodore, thank you so much for uh, taking the time today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. Um, I know, I know you have like a whole thing, but before I get started, just just for your audience, um, I just want to express like heartfelt regards for anybody who's kind of gone through it, or you know, had a family member who's been affected by this pandemic. I I really feel bad for everyone, and I hope that. We emerge from this soon, and as you know, people are going to hear me speak, and they're going to hear my enthusiasm about how much I love philosophy and how much I love art. But all that revolves around the human condition. So I just want them to know that I'm putting positive energy out there. And you know, um, besides my excitement, that's still there. But I do, I do want to acknowledge that. Thank you for that time. Yeah, totally. Uh, you have to kind of have that positivity to get through this, especially after what, five months now? Right, right, right. This lockdown has been, has been intense. So uh, the, the thing about, well, at least I'll speak for myself. Yeah. Uh, it's just kind of thinking about a few steps ahead of, of where we're at. I know that we have to kind of be responsible for ourselves in this moment in time. And we also kind of, you know, have to reflect inwards and think about the people around us. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I just, uh, yeah, no, that, that, that's really it. That's really it. I, I just don't want to go off on a tangent because I feel <laughs> so much, you know. Uh, I, I, you know, it's, it's super emotional because when you sit back and you watch everybody and you're like, oh, I hope everybody's okay. And, you know, because we're, we're human, we're, uh, in philosophy, where humanities feel, and you know, we we're we're looking for we're looking to create really good humans, and we want to be good people. And part of that is having empathy for our fellow citizens, our fellow global citizens. And you know, you just feel that, or at least I feel that when I look out into the world from my little room where <laughs> I'm doing my yoga and my, and my calisthenics just to try and keep myself in shape. So you know, I I kind I kind of just yeah. Yeah. Um, what has quarantine been like in California? I know you're in the San Francisco area in Stockton. Um, what well, kind of take us through? Because that was like one of the first places, right? Like that. Yeah, we we have we have we have we have a really strong healthcare system in California. So you drive around, you're going to see a Kaiser, you're going to see a hospital, you're going to see something. So I feel like because of the strong healthcare system and because of the strong <clears throat> politicians in California, you know, they were able to say, hey, there's a problem on the horizon. Thank you, internet. <laughs> you know, yeah. thank you, internet. We're able to see this coming. And fortunately, there's a book for pandemics. <laughs> you, you, you scroll open to page six and it goes like this, shut everything down, <laughs> shut everything down and, you know, get a grip. Uh, so, you know, our politicians, London Breed in San Francisco, uh, the mayor of San Francisco, she she closed things down right away. Uh, they moved down into um, uh, Southern California, closed things out there. 
But I think people just got impatient. I think anxiety and impatience got to people. And, you know, with 41 million people in 58 counties, it's kind of like, all right, uh, like it's like uh, wrangling cats I guess if you have a bunch of people with anxiety and you have a bunch of people who want to get back to normal um, it's it, you know it's, it's tough it, it, it's tough and I feel like some people some people you know kind of gave in to uh, gave into the anxiety and to the fear and you know just went to want it to be normal and you know science said don't do that <laughs> science science was right so so yeah and, and that's really my perspective on it. And you know, I, I don't, being familiar with anxiety, I don't fault people for their reactions in a time of crisis. You know, I, you know, I, I don't fault people because you know, the human, the human reaction is going to be the human reaction. So, uh, but I do think that uh, now we're five to six months into it. We're, we're a little, we're, we should be in the adolescent phase of this catastrophe and be like, Hey, all right, cool. We know how to take care of ourselves and let's just, you know, let's just be as helpful to humanity as possible. Yeah. You know, I think taking care of each other, I think is very important. Um, right. And I, right. I hope that the five months everybody's been at home would kind of make them remember that, but it seems to be going the other way, but I don't know. But, I haven't well, run anything personally, but. You know, you, you know, you know what I think, I think, I think I haven't lost hope. I, ha I haven't lost hope yet. I haven't, I think that, I think that there are good people out there with good ideas. And this is why I'm so glad to be involved in the field I'm in now, because being involved in art and from my perspective at the intersection of art and philosophy um, in aesthetics, we can, we, can, we, can, we can bifurcate a little bit. We can say, we can talk about creativity but we can also talk about innovation. So if we're talking about creativity, we're sitting around and we're like, okay, we're using our mental you know, capacities to kind of figure things out, say something interesting. However, when we talk about innovation, now we're talking about looking at systems and how we can make them more efficient, how we can make them better. Yeah. And I feel like you know, the best practices from creative endeavors, um, if they put their energy into innovation, they can be leaders in this moment and help us all if we have to live with this kind of pandemic, this environment where we're self-distancing and we're hanging out um, away from each other, we can start to think about innovation in a way that kind of brings us back together because the audience is very important to um, the artist, right? <laughs> because without the audience, the artist is going to be a lost person. So we have to, we, us as, we as artists have to kind of advocate for innovation and be able to be like, look, we need to get our audiences back in these different realms of entertainment and you know art and stuff because there's not gonna be any galleries and all kinds of things. So we're just gonna need innovation and that innovation where people are naturally drawn to it I feel like would have an effect of kind of, you know, uh, triggering other, triggering the corporate world, triggering the marketplace to kind of adopt some of those so that, you know, we can start to move freely about the cabin again, I guess you would right. say. <clears throat> yeah, I, it's really interesting how innovation kind of becomes mainstream. Uh, I mean, 
think about Apple computers, think about, you know, yeah. Facebook, any of those, yeah. you know, th those are mainstream products now. Uh, obviously, right. I think everyone has an iPhone or something similar to an iPhone. Everyone at least is on Facebook or was on Facebook or can complain about Facebook. They know what it is. Like yeah. My grandmother knew what Facebook was before she died. And that was years ago. So, you know, I, you know real quick, a funny story. Yeah. Funny, funny story about Facebook. I was um, over the summer, I was in Illinois and uh, I was at a gas station and there was a, there in, at the gas station in the, uh, in the rack next to the register, there was a pamphlet that they were selling for $2 about how to use Facebook. What, I, right? I don't <laughs> doubt it. <laughs> right, 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 right. But that just goes to show you that, that just goes to show you that even in the Midwest, reaching out and like getting people online, that's a movement, it's a whole thing. But I, I thought it was odd that it was a pamphlet. Pamphlet. It's just weird because, you know, I've, I've never interacted with Facebook outside of a computer or cell phone. Mm -hmm. And to see it like, on, you know, being a pamphlet being sold on how to use it was kind of like, I'm, my brain kind of froze up a little bit. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, yeah. But just funny story. This is my funny yeah, story. no, that's, that's awesome. Uh, I love gas station truck stop finds. You always find some really good right. stuff there. So. Right, right. And great food. Uh, so... <laughs> have broken many a diet at a gas station. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just been like, you know what? This hot dog, probably not the best for me, but it was delicious. Yeah. Have you been to Texas to, to Bucky's? I, I, I've been to Texas, but I haven't been to Bucky's. Okay. Well, next Texas, or I think I'm in Alabama now, Bucky's is like the, the golden land of truck stops. It is amazing. Oh, really? Yeah. You, you can look well, it up on the internet and you'll be jealous. I mean, it's, top notch top tier that that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty nice find right there i actually like 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 if i'm driving and um i'm out and about i will spend a good hour at a at a nice find like that <laughs> just be like what are you doing just living my best life in here right now oh, all oh, this yeah. stuff is amazing um not that anybody can see it, but I have a uh, Bucky's uh, Texas keychain, state of Texas, with the <laughs> Bucky the Beaver on there. But it's also a bottle opener. Um, you know, right. uh, that's it's it's something that you have to have. You will spend way too much money in a Bucky's. I promise you. Right. It 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 adds it adds a little bit of um. What's that uh? What's that called um? Density to the robustness of life there then a little bit of density be like what are you doing here i don't know it's a little bit of everything but you know so it's what what are we going to say we can say that that shows um a sophisticated palette that you have <laughs> totally it i don't know how sophisticated it is uh but i got a good palette um hey so I, I didn't i didn't say it was true i didn't say that's what we're going to say <laughs> yep let's let's say it um so Tell us a little bit about Dursay, um, your research projects and interest. I roll those all okay, together. Well, well, they're they're kind of they're kind of also at the intersection of uh, philosophy and art. So um, we'll start we'll start with the name. The name itself, Dursay, uh, is D U R T S E U Q. So the D U R um, in German is major. So 
is major and then it's quest backwards. So I okay. kind of wanted to have a, a creative vehicle um, that kind of represented the kind of mission I've been on for like my entire existence as an artist, in a sense, the quest. Because I, you know, I, I want to be, I think my job is as an advocate for the arts, artists, and artistry at the end of the day. So uh, I wanted a vehicle that um, I could kind of push out um, artistic artifacts or artworks into the world that uh, came up, that I came up, that I made as a process of my philosophic research in philosophy. So for me, as an artist philosopher, I consider it, um, <clears throat> I consider the starting point where I begin. Um, so I begin with a premise or with a question. And that's kind of the heart of philosophy is flushing out some sort of question that you have coming to maybe ease some sort of tension. So I, 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 I start at what is like, so for my thesis project, I started like, what is art? I have no idea what art is. When I first start, like, I don't know. Like, I, please, someone who's smarter than me, share with me your knowledge and <laughs> give me the wisdom of the ages and tell me what this thing is, which I do. However, do I really know what I'm doing? Turns out I didn't know what I was doing because there were a lot of smart people who sat around and thought about it. And I just started to look around and I started to kind of figure things out and kind of learn these best practices, learn what aesthetics is, learn about beauty, learn about the spectator, learn about how, you know, people ease tension through kind of, like I said earlier, density or ease tension through transparency. So with art and the um, artistic journey, you get density, you kind of, kind of have to flush things out, but with philosophy, you get transparency. And, you know, at the end of the day, my broader, my, my broader aim is to kind of figure out where that balance is between the artist and the philosopher, between density and transparency. Um, so I'm interested in following that kind of train of thought uh, moving forward. So Dersay as a vehicle for just what I make on the way to that goal. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't have a lot of time uh, between studies and whatnot and research work to kind of fully go at it as a small business. But, you know, I keep it in my back pocket with the hopes that one day I'll be able to, maybe after I uh, complete my PhD program, I'll focus mainly on kind of uh, the maker side of what it is I do. But that vehicle, that Jersey is just, Jersey is simply a vehicle for my artistic aims. And then it's grounded in my philosophical research about creativity and art and whatnot. Nice. And yeah, you mentioned your PhD program. Um, you're starting that at uh, IDVS, IDSVA. There's yes. A lot, there's a lot of letters. It's always. <laughs> letters. Um, so, uh, to be completely honest, I've been practicing saying it. So, so, so I, cause you know, you want to have your elevator pitch right up, right down. And I'm just like, no, that getting used to your new program is always kind of the the cultures change. You know, in academia, when you when you switch a different program, the cultures change, your responsibilities change, and you know your, what's expected of you changes as well. So you know, I, I feel you on trying to kind of get that out. But um, yeah, I'm super excited. 
to be in that program. It's something that I worked really hard for because, you know, being a philosopher is one thing. Being a philosopher who's not a analytic philosopher <laughs> is a whole other thing because you have two, two kind of realms within philosophy. You have your analytic philosophers and your continental philosophers. Your continental philosophers are more fluid in the poetics of writing and whatnot and bringing up that density thing again. And then the analytic philosophers are more about, you know, unpacking things in an analytic way. You know, it's premise, premise, conclusion. How good is your argument? Um, and, you know, me, uh, myself, trying to live in an analytic world, being a continental writer and continental leaning was, is, has been very challenging in, in, uh, as far as going through academia. So holding on to my desire to, to really make the intersection of philosophy and art my domain of relevance and my domain of expertise, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been tough, but like I said, getting into this PhD program where they specifically focus on that Mm -hmm. has always been the goal and I'm super excited to be a part of um, that family and looking forward to not only what I can contribute to you know my cohort my new cohort they they all seem really cool but I'm also looking forward to kind of turning back into philosophy and you know trying to see if there's a different type of work product that an artist can produce because you know the work product for an artist is usually you know they're makers and um, it's just like some sort of artifact, uh, some sort of creative artifact. And then the work product for the philosopher is generally um, a, a paper or whatnot. And I want to know like, is there is there something in the middle of that? What what what's in the middle? What kind of narratives um, and what kind what kind of narratives and what kind of tensions can be pulled on uh, between the artist and the philosopher as the philosopher artist. So, you know, it just seems like a great place and a great opportunity to kind of unpack all of those questions and hopefully find some answers. Because generally, philosophers are a lot smarter than I am. So <laughs> I get super excited to be like around really smart people with all of my questions. They were like, I got questions. I need answers right now. And they're just like, hold on there, big guy. <laughs> Calm down. And I'm like, yo. Well, these questions, they got to be answered. They're just like, all right, slow down. Let's just, let's just start from a really cool spot. But, but yeah, I'm super excited about that. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I've uh, gone to a few of their like student happy hours that they have um, during the mm -hmm. CAA conference. Um, yeah. The college art association. So I get drugged to those. I kind of crash them basically. So, you know, <laughs> Hey, listen, my very first philosophers like meeting was at a bar. So <laughs> I know about those I know about those people. They 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 definitely were like, you know what? We probably need to grease the wheels a little bit. <laughs> Get those creative a, uh, Yeah, they wouldn't give me a membership card. They just like you can stay, but we're not letting you we're not inducting you into the hall of fame here. <laughs> oh <laughs> just kidding. That 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 is a thing. They, they, they can be a challenging social group, we can. <laughs> we can oh, be a yeah. challenging social group. No, I mean, yeah. it breaks down to uh, to all the current uh, things that are going on in the world. Um, and 
being able to sit back and ask questions about them. I think that's interesting. Um, right. No, um, I, you know, and I, I was going to say that's yeah. being the question part. I like, I have so many questions. <laughs> so many, I have so many questions. And I'm so glad that I found a profession that like tries to answer them because it, you know, it helps me with the anxiety part of like, I got all these questions and I need answers, but you know, it's super relaxing that it's super, I would say not relaxing. That's the wrong word comforting that there are people out there sitting around really smart people thinking about the answers to all these questions it's like all right cool at least if we need them they'll be there but we have to be good humans and actually go get the answers so yeah yeah so you kind of touched on it a little bit with the bar thing but what do philosophers do in their spare time Whew. according to my twitter feed <laughs> <laughs> According to my Twitter and Instagram feed, they do a little bit of everything. Okay. Let's see. There's. Uh, uh, it's actually interesting because what happens is, from 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 what I've what I what I've been able to see, getting to know a lot of people in um, the philosophic realm, I guess you want to say, or the philosophic domain, getting to know a lot of people. They're super smart, and they're they're interested in they're interested in cool things but you know they they do it to a hundred percent it's like it's like okay most people will have like all right i have a garden but you know a philosopher is not just gonna have a garden it's gonna be hydroponics and it's gonna be it's gonna wrap around the house it's, you know it's gonna it's gonna the water is gonna come in by itself and you know probably most likely the bean plant is gonna be watering the other plants or something like that. Nice. So it's like, oh my God, you know, you have the most amazing thing here ever. And you're just like, yeah, I just decided to think about it for a few weeks or whatever, and this is what you have. So I noticed that on my timeline, a lot of their activities are like that, whether they're like having a garden or they like read, read books or something like that. It's not just, I read books. I have a book club with 700 followers and we all enjoy ourselves. You know, it's, 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 it's stuff like that. It's like, you know, it's like, um, I just can't do it at a five. It kind of has to be a 10, but you know, that, that, that makes things kind of, to me, that makes things interesting. Like I'm not doing it because I have to, or just because I'm killing time. I'm actually doing it because I get passionate about doing it right and seeing the best practices. It's because, you know, philosophy is a second order discipline. So what we do is we, we start to aggregate these best practices from all these kind of different things. And, you know, we, we, we flush it out. And when they do that in their real life, it, it turns out kind of cool, you know? And then you're just like, oh. And then they kind of play it off like, oh, I'm just a nerd and stuff. You're like, nah, you work hard, yo. You're cool. <laughs> we know what's up with you. Congratulations, here's your, here's your blue ribbon. Yeah, you know, when we're talking about philosophy, um, artists and designers um, kind of think that it's inaccessible. Um, mm. can, you, can you tell me why philosophy is important to artists? Oh, yeah, that's definitely, um, that's, def that's, definitely that's definitely something that uh, is problematic within the within the field itself is that it's impenetrable it's like we speak to each other for the most part because and from what i found for me personally and for me personally from what i found is that we you it's it's a couple of things it's we try to use precision in words 
So, so we try to be super precise. Usually, usually the English language can be super flexible. You know, this word can mean that, this word, lots of intersections for this word because we use it colloquially um, all over the place and all the time, you know, we, we use these words. However, in philosophy, we try to be per precise to avoid that. But what happens is, at least for me, from what I found is what happens is, is that it becomes impenetrable for other readers from other disciplines. So if you come from another discipline, you can't really engage with it. And you know, if you're an artist and you're like, you ask, you ask, an, you ask an artist who, who isn't being retrospective in the moment, what did you do that for? They might just spit something out and just tell you like, I did it because blah, blah, blah. But if you ask a esthetician, why did the artist do this? You're going to have a totally different explanation, correct? You're going to have like, oh, you know, it comes from this period. There's going to be a history lesson with it. And this is why they did it, which might not cohere with the reason why the artist actually did something. So that, that impenetrability, that tension right there um, is something that I think it happens, it happens kind of naturally in philosophy because of what we're, what, what we're trying to do. We're trying to, we're looking at arguments in philosophy. We're, we're trying to make, we're trying to make the, the uh, we're trying to make the, I guess, clearest argument possible so that we think that we can get some movement into where we want to go next. So, um, so we, we try to do that, but, um, but yeah, that, that's not the goal for most other people. Most other people want to kind of know how this fits into what it is that I'm doing. And is it beneficial? Is it, is it beneficial or is it not? You know, is it slowing me down or is it not? Like, how can I use this? How is this useful? Yeah, where's the value? And, um, yeah, and, and, that's, and, you, and that, that creates some tension there. And um, I think, and that's why, that's why for me, being an artist philosopher is important because I want to be able to engage with, um, with, with, other, philosopher, with other philosophers in their own language. And I want to be able to, you know, be like, hey, wait a second, I can defend this right here because this is, you know, uh, we're able to, we're able to justify a claim. So if I'm a, if I'm an artist and I make a claim and I can't justify it, it's problematic for the philosopher. However, if I'm an artist philosopher who can justify a claim and can kind of get the, you know, the dozo from a philosopher, like, you know, mm -hmm. carry on, enjoy your life. To me, that's like, all right, now we're tracking. Now we're, now we're doing some things that we can, we can start to articulate where we're going, how we're getting there, and what's exactly going on. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's definitely problematic. And it's, uh, yeah, the impenetrability, that, that's a thing. And, it, and that's why I was uh, a little bit earlier, I kind of said that I was looking for a work product for the artist, yeah, um, and I was in my in my head. I was thinking like, "Hey, I want it to be I want it to be accessible to um, a broader range of people, um, rather than a traditional philosophy paper." Nice. So, what came first, uh, philosophy or art? Uh, for me, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well. The funny thing is, the funny thing is, is like I I always consider, or at least I consider myself having been an artist like the majority of my life, mm -hmm. because you know, 
it was the first job that my mom suggested might be a possibility for me oh, when nice. I was like in fourth grade or something. something insane. But it's it's a kid's mentality kind of thing because okay, so I'm from Sacramento. I was originally born in Sacramento. Every every winter in Sacramento, every Christmas or whatnot, at the Civic Center, they have the Nutcracker there. So you know, as a kid, you go stand in line, you get a, a giant uh, a giant what is that a peppermint kind of uh, pep uh, candy cane? They give you a giant oh, one. So as a kid, yeah. I knew every Christmas you got to get you 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 know you got a giant candy cane. You wait in line, you go see the show, you get the candy cane. I was all about the candy cane. My mother one day in the car says, "Hey, on the way to on the way there, she said, wouldn't it be cool if you were an artist like those people?" My little kid brain said, "Hey, they're they're at the place with the candy canes." <laughs> so, so, so the prize reward thing was already in my head. My reward for becoming an artist was I get the candy cane. I get to, I get to hang out at the place that has the giant candy canes. So I always blame my mom for being an artist, but. Um, that, that was my first kind of like, as a child, understanding what an artist kind of was. They performed for the audience. We went there and watched them. And um, that's what happened. But uh, my real artistic journey began actually in Hawaii, where I was a street artist. And, you know, we were hungry. Like I was kind of just, I was living out there. And, you know, somebody at some point, I had, I had, I had one job at a place called McInerney out there but you know in hawaii it's super expensive so you couldn't really afford a whole lot of things i needed a second job and one day i just happened to be standing around and uh one of the street performers was like hey can you do this for me and we turned out uh, to be really good friends and you know after work or whatever i would go out there and hang out with them and help them make um a couple of dollars or whatnot and you know we started from there it went to music and then from there um the kind of road to the art world kind of opened up because I ended up actually in Japan and then back in San Francisco. Oh wow! Uh, and I just kind of, I just kind of, like fell in love with being an artist. But we were so, it was it was so hard because you know there wasn't a whole lot of money and you don't have like mentorship or anything like that. There's no real structure there to support this uh, growing passion. So um, quickly, I figured out that, hey, I should go back to school. However, you know, I was thinking to myself, um, what are you going to do? I mean, I, I like being an artist, but, you know, I should go back to school to be an artist. And I was thinking about just going to a regular art program. And then I was like, well, I like philosophy. Um, is there an avenue there? And I... And my professors at the City College of San Francisco, mm -hmm. they were like, look, you like art, you like philosophy, here's, an, here's some aesthetic stuff. <laughs> Go forth and, 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 and do your thing. And then I was like, oh, look, intersection, art and stuff right here. So I can kind of take both of these passions and run with it. And I really haven't looked back. I really haven't looked back. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so, you know, one thing with with uh, the exchange of art and philosophical philosophical ideas, I can't pronounce that because I can't pronounce very much. Um, it seems like uh, uh, like the design platforms, graphic design, interior designers are often looked. What are your thoughts on that, as far as uh, philosophy and design? 
philosophy and design. Um, you know, philosophy and design is actually super important. So um, we at, uh, at San Francisco State, I had a really amazing uh, mentor. Uh, she was a pretty famous esthetician, Dr. Anita Silvers. Um, she actually, she actually um, uh, was in a wheelchair. So she actually advocated for designers to take philosophy classes so that, um, especially ethics, so that they would broaden out their understanding of designing buildings for everyone. You know, you don't want to design a building, you don't want to design a building and institutionalize like other people's importance in that building. Like, I know that there's the, uh, there's the, there's a thing about how like men are designing buildings for just men and then the women don't have the bathroom where they need to be for work and whatnot. So a philosophy class on, uh, you know, building and design will flush all that out. So you can actually, you know, build, build better, better buildings that are more efficient for, for workers and employees um, and kind of avoid, uh, avoid the type of institutionalized mistake that might disenfranchise certain uh, segments of underrepresented peoples. Yeah, my, my wife, every time she um, puts on a shirt that has a cuff, like a large cuff, she yells, a uh -huh. man had to have designed this. And <laughs> I'm like, okay. Right. And, and she has a background in uh, fashion and costume design. But I'm like, well, mm -hmm. no, you didn't have to buy the shirt. And she's like, well, it's cute except for the cuffs. I'm like, well, you can fix that, but I'm not going there. But yeah, she's always like a man right, had to design right. that. Women would not design that because they get caught in your food or in drawers or this and that. Right. So I like that idea. Right. So, so, so philosophy is super important to um, to just just once we start. I, I think it's I, th I think it's just, I, 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 and I'm only thinking this now in the moment. Right. So uh, forgive me. Um, I think it's when you scale up. It's, it's like when you scale up, when you have just something small in your head, like a, like a cool something in your head, you're like, all right, cool. Um, that, I think that scratches the, it, the itch for the creator. Um, however, if we're, if we're being conscious of the scale of the, of the project, then we need to start thinking about other people. And I think philosophy gives you the right foundation to kind of be able to, um, manage all those kind of complex ideas as a creator okay as well no i think that's that's nice um so philosophy always seems so serious does that come from the discipline itself or the practitioners um wow yeah no it is very it is very serious i think uh call out people I know, right? Be like, be like, my whole cohort, <laughs> my whole cohort. No, I, I think, I think that, I, I think that's, a, I think that's a, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing question. Um, I, I think that it's, uh, it's the competitive nature of the science of philosophy, because you know we write papers where we totally trash one another in philosophy, but we do it like. Hi, how are you doing? Uh, my very friend polite. over there. Yeah, very polite. I feel like my friend over there have no idea what the hell they're talking about. And she never forget. <laughs> it was like, oh, okay. But like, 
now that I've ripped you apart, I'm going to call you my friend again. <laughs> be like, no, we're not friends. <laughs> we're, we're not friends. Well, this is the art of war right here, and I need to win. I, I need the W. But yeah, I think that's where the seriousness, the gravity comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think also, too, um, it's the subject matter sometimes, because, you know, things can get really dark in philosophy really quick. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, we just took a left turn, and now we're just, now, now we're throwing people down hills. And it's like, what are, you know, is that okay? Is that all right? So I think um, because of the subject matter, sometimes philosophers kind of have to have that kind of objective kind of persona, if you want to call it that, and, and deal with the information in a certain type of way. Because the last thing I think you want, uh, if you were standing in front of a room full of students, is to... Um, I think I, I think if you're being conscious, you just don't want to get it wrong because you're thinking that they're going to use this moving, at least for me, I'll speak for myself. We'd be like, they're going to use this moving forward. So I'm going to do my best as possible to make sure it's right. So, you know, a lot of pressure to get the arguments right. Because the last thing you want to do too is get an email from some, you know, professor from somewhere and be like, did you teach this student that? That's completely wrong. And be like, oh. All right, so now we're fighting. <laughs> now, now we're now we're fighting. But yeah, uh, but no, yeah. That that I think it's just yeah. It's part. It's part. It's a couple of different. Re- there's a couple of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Some of them might not be necessary, but then sometimes it is necessary to kind of ha- keep your composure in class. Yeah, totally. So, where should art and designers, artists and designers, um, start with philosophy? there any uh, books, readings that they should uh, look at if they, you know, are interested and want to want to dip the toes in, so to speak? Well, um, that's a good, that's a good question because it's such a, it's, it's a, it's a philosophy is a really broad field. And then like what, I, I think I would need a follow-up question to be able to answer that or to feel comfortable answering that mm-hmm. only because like say for example you're 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 a design you're a designer or you're an artist and you're and you're you kind of are trying to figure figure something out you need a starting place you need you need some you need some place you need like okay i have a question and this question pertains to um maybe i'm trying to get some some sort of mood right i'm trying to get the mood right so if I'm trying to get the mood right, I know that I should probably be looking at maybe uh, maybe philosophical work on emotions, mm-hmm. because for me, looking at philosophical work on emotions would make me retreat inwardly and begin to kind of flush out, um, okay, this person says this about emotions. What do I think about that? Like, do my emotions work that way? And like, uh, if I was an artist or a designer, what does it look like to express that emotion and how do we and how do we um and what's and, and how is that emotion received in other people can i track that down can i start asking questions i just need to start i need to i need to i need to have a beginning point to begin to ask questions where to start for um just uh, just an artist or um an artist or a designer because you know it also too could it also too could be the case that um, I'm a specific. I work in a specific medium as an artist, and this medium doesn't necessarily translate well 
or this medium's best practices aren't really understood under this lens. So it's, it's that's, a, that's a really hard question for me because yeah, no. it's so it's, it's, it's really vast. But if I, if I just told someone where to start, if they, if I was, if my goal was to get somebody interested in um, philosophy, I would direct them to, if then they were a creative, if they were a creative type, uh -huh. I would direct them to Nietzsche because okay. he's, he's always a winner. If he, even if he disappoints you and he doesn't tell you what you want to know <laughs> about his aesthetic theory, he is going to talk so much crap about somebody, you are going <laughs> to feel good about yourself. <laughs> Just be like, All right. I'm so ever ran into him in real life. Why? Because his slings and arrows are like, like going through world star comments. I don't know if you know that website, world oh. star. If you, if you go through the comments there, you're like, Oh my God. <laughs> this kind of like what you get when you, when you start reading uh, Nietzsche's slings and arrows. So if you, if you miss out on his aesthetic theory or whatnot, you know, you can always, you, you can't go wrong with Nietzsche as far as some, as far as a starting place in philosophy. All right. I like that. I like that. And I also like uh, that you brought up World Star. So <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, you know, when it popped into my head, I was like, oh, my God, this has to be said. That's accurate. I, I'll, I'll buy that. Um, right? I, I was going to ask if there's any room for humor in uh, philosophy. Oh, yeah. The universe is hilarious. Have you seen 2020? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I'm hoping I'm going to wake up and it's not going to be real. So, Right, right, right. I'm like, how fast can we get to December 31st? <laughs> just be like, oh. But, but, um, just, just a side note. My, uh, my, uh, my family text line, we've been talking, we've been playing 2020 uh, pandemic bingo. And we're like, no, nobody has called anything yet. <laughs> we're like, oh my God. We're like, yeah, no one has called anything. But yeah, there, there's a lot of room for humor. And, I, you know, a, a lot of, you know, me, uh, a lot of comedians have picked up on the philosophical kind of unpacking of the universe mm -hmm. and looking at it from a particular perspective. And it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like amazing to me. And, you know, I mean, I don't know that comedians necessarily have a background in philosophy or whatnot, but what they're doing is by unpacking the insanity that uh, human nature can produce is it's you know it's really good work because you know with the best comedians i will laugh my whole behind off so you know it's kind of like you know there is room for for humor there um and the best the best professors in, that i've had and i've had a lot of philosophy professors they've been funny because you know if you start falling asleep in class which happens if you even if i sometimes if i even look at a philosophy book I will doze off. Right? Just be like, yeah, just be like, what? Be like, yeah. Be like, oh my God. Be like, we're doing that? Okay, we're no, we're not. We're going to sleep right now. So so yeah, um, injecting a little bit of humor into your um kind of into into your, you know, talk or whatever is, you know, highly I don't know if it's encouraged, but it definitely is appreciated by me. <laughs> so yeah. Nice. Are you familiar with the comedian Bill Hicks? The late, great Bill Hicks? Bill Hicks? No, no, no. I'm not familiar with Bill Hicks. I'm going to have to Google him later. Yeah, uh, he died ooh, 
15, 17 years ago, maybe longer than that. I don't know. Uh-huh. You, should, you should look at Hicks. I think you'd like some of his stuff, um, especially his later stuff. So, uh-huh. No, I, I definitely check it out. I love a good tip because because it, it, it was like one of those rabbit holes. I'll start at Bill Hicks. <laughs> but the cool thing about it is to like, okay, so thanks for bringing that up, actually, because that's the kind of thing I like about being, if, you know, if I could be, do you remember that TV show like with Michael Landon, Touched by an Angel? Uh-huh. Do you do you remember, do you remember the TV show? If I could have my own TV show, it would be like Touched by an Artist, and I would just go stick my nose in every artist's business all <laughs> over the globe, just traveling around and just just meddling where I don't belong. And they'd be like, "That's Steve Mettler. No, but um, with with that Bill Hicks comment, uh, what I what what I will do, I'll tell you exactly what I'll do because I already did it in my head. I mean, like what I will do, I'll start Googling Bill Hicks and I'll see if you know what he had to say about comedy. And I'm like, if and my favorite thing to find is if they said something about somebody that they like. So if there's somebody that Bill Hicks enjoyed or someone that Bill Hicks worked with quite often, I go off to that person to compare which best practices that Bill Hicks might have picked up from that person to make them successful. And then all of a sudden I have, a, I have the base for a hypothesis or a, you know, kind of a guess about what makes Bill Hicks really good, you know, and what makes him someone who, you know, who we like to listen to and whatnot. And I love unpacking an artist like that. I, that's kind of like the dopest thing. That's why I was like, yo, I, I, I love a good lead. I love yeah. a good lead. Well, I, I think you'll have a good time with uh, looking up Bill Hicks and you can see like Dennis Leary stole a bunch of stuff from Bill Hicks and that's a big thing in the comedy world. So yeah. All right. Uh, quick uh, final question. What artists and designers are you following right now? Well, the, the artists, the artists that I like the most right now that I'll give you that um, is Amy Sherrill. She's the one who uh, did Michelle Obama's uh, portrait. Portrait, yeah. Um, so I, re- I really, 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 really like that portrait of Michelle Obama. And mostly not because of the reason that most people point out. I, this is my theory. And I don't know Amy, I, you know, I don't know her from, I don't know her or I don't know anything. But I promise that if you look closely at that portrait, there is a radioactive symbol right in the middle of it, right, com- right coming out of the middle of, there's a radioactive symbol. And that symbol kind of is a very empowering visual, th- visual image to add to uh-huh. a really powerful, you know, female voice out there, especially a black woman's voice. And, that, and just putting that there, and it's so subtle that you kind of really have to see it. And I was like, that's an artist right there because that's just an added touch just the that's just like the uh the icing on the cake or the you know whatever 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 the greatest caveat or the greatest caveat is to me that that right there is really dope and that's kind of the the as a spectator or as an audience member that's the kind of thing that makes me really be excited that i have the opportunity to um kind of be in this field where i get to kind of absorb all this material that um i love so much you know between art and philosophy and i'm really really like really just happy that i have the chance to do that that's awesome very cool 
Well, Theodore, thank you so much for um, stopping by today, taking the time, and and kind of giving us a little insight to you and and uh, philosophy. Because I can tell you, I don't know anything. <laughs> Man, I think, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. And um, like I said, everybody out there, be healthy and safe. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks everyone for tuning in to this episode. Remember, you can find links and images from today's guest on our website, remcad.edu forward slash remotely creative. And don't forget to submit your questions for us by emailing remotely creative at remcad.edu. That's R-M-C-A-D dot E-D-U. Make sure to subscribe to Remotely Creative wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Special thanks to our team here, Gretchen Marie Schaefer, Chris Daly, Mel Kern, Josh Smith, and Madeline Austin for making today's episode possible. Until next time, take care of yourself and each other.